0: After you've marked hymn number 226 that we'll sing in just a minute after we conclude the time of the sermon, the lesson today, might I ask you to ponder with me the penetrating thought of Psalm 268. O Lord, I have loved the habitation of thine house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. You and I perhaps have looked forward to the duration of this past week until the first day of another week when this morning we have the precious privilege and opportunity of gathering and assembling and how joyous it has been already to lift up our voices in song, to approach our Heavenly Father in both thanksgiving and petition, as well as, as we look forward to the surrounding of the table a little bit later today. For the next little while, though, I would ask you to ponder with me some of the characteristics during the sermon of the nature of thanksgiving. I realize that that holiday that we set aside in our land is coming up later this week on Thursday. But as we focus our attention on the biblical subject of Thanksgiving this morning, we might be reminded or perhaps encouraged to think about Thanksgiving in maybe a different way. Let me begin by expressing some introductory thoughts, and then we'll move into the very character of the lesson by focusing on the 116th Psalm. To begin with, think with me of this, if you would. You and I realize that Thanksgiving, by its very nature, has a very basic statement in nature in in our society. We realize it is an annual holiday. It is set aside as the fourth Thursday in each calendar year in November. And furthermore, we appreciate that it's a federal holiday. The banks and many other places of business are closed that day. Quite often, we are tempted to think of it only in a materialistic way we realize the bounty and abundance that we share and enjoy. I've listed just a few of the things on that screen there to my left. We think about the blessing of family, our loved ones. Perhaps our mind reflects and thinks about the blessing that we enjoy in the very character of that table full of food that's sitting before us. Maybe even we even spend the remainder of that afternoon by sitting back and watching a football game or playing in the yard with our friends or our children if the weather permits, quite often it is indeed a day, quite often appreciated by a sense of ease, a sense of comfort, and truly, for at least some, a real sense of the blessings that we do enjoy. As one thinks about the nature and extent, though, of those blessings, it's also fair to mention what about all that makes possible that bounty of food that we do have. We have jobs and we are able to labor by virtue of that and provide that food. We also can put a shelter over our head, clothes upon our back, many things indeed for which we can be thankful. The whole idea though of thanksgiving perhaps takes us back to the year of 1621 when at least this holiday in America as we understood it began. On that occasion when those first settlers came into the Massachusetts area, they had had a very, very difficult winter that previous winter. So much so that half the colony died That next year, however, those that did remain, those that survived, did not give up. They planted their crops. Many of them didn't do well, but one of them did. It was the corn crop. And come that next fall, the fall of 1621, they had a three-day celebration thanking God that He did see them through it, and that they were able to experience the blessing He'd given them. That idea has soon, over that period of time, come to be our day of thanksgiving, our holiday. It's not celebrated worldwide, it's only in here in America and in Canada. But I might submit to you today, the Bible has much to say about Thanksgiving too. For not only is there a wealth of blessing physically, what about spiritually? It is to that idea I would ask you to ponder the Psalms with me. The book of Psalms is a 150 chapter masterpiece. In which is presented to us the nature of God's express revelation concerning so many of the emotions of life so many of the difficulties and even times of jubilation that we enjoy at least 31 of the 150 Psalms are Psalms of Thanksgiving in which there is an express statement of thanksgiving to God for the blessings that he bestowed upon ancient Israel or thanking God for the blessings he bestowed on the psalmist himself or some other particular person. It is in that latter arena that we will look at Psalm 116 this morning. Recognizing that as the psalmist pours out his heart in thanksgiving to God, that may well be a sentiment that we each can share as we realize, oh, how good God has been to all of us. The 116th psalm begins in the first four verses and in fact presents to us some of the following ideas. I would ask that you read those first four verses with me. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death come past me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found sorrow and trouble." Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. If we pause there a moment and reflect upon the means by which this psalm has begun, is it not fair to say that one great thing for which we can be so thankful is the very sentiment expressed in these four verses? We indeed can be so thankful that God hears his children. Maybe it's often been the case that you, like myself, have been in a position where others either do not care for your opinion, or else they are absolutely antagonistic to it. Your Heavenly Father isn't that way. Not only does He enjoy listening to you, He wants you often and frequently to turn to Him in prayer and to cast upon Him those burdens of your day and your life. He hears His children The psalmist began by saying, I love the Lord because He hath heard my voice and my supplications. As often in life as we appreciate sometimes that we are not heard by others, others in fact are not interested or do not care that isn't true of God. He not only cares about you and me as His children, he is a desirous of listening to us and to us to bring before Him our burdens and those things that weigh upon our mind and the troubles and sorrows of our life. In fact, isn't it interesting that in verse 2, the very nature of what the psalmist stated was based upon past experience. He again says, Because He hath inclined His ear unto me, therefore, therefore will I call upon Him as long as I live. Because of the blessing that you and I have enjoyed in days gone by, we have every expectation of the goodness of Him toward us in days that are to come. So much so, the psalmist said, As long as I live, I'll call upon the Lord. You and I, in the heart of thanksgiving, may in fact feel the same. Through the number of years of your life on earth, be it 20 or 30 or 60 or 80 we each can easily see how bountiful have been toward us the blessing of God. Indeed, do we not read in James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness to shadow of turning. The amazing fact is that everything from the very air that we breathe to that bountiful table that we may enjoy on Thursday of this week is ultimately due to the provision of God toward you and me. It's a mighty thing to recognize that God hears. He desires to hear. The most powerful and imaginable being in all the universe has his ear attuned to you and me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that truly astounding? And that very word is in fact used in verse 2. He has inclined his ear. That means he has an attention toward you and me. It's not as though we are a simply something to take up his time. It's not as though we are simply something he has to interrupt what he's otherwise doing to listen to us. God has inclined his ear with purpose and intent to hear our voice and our supplications. We must never forget then the power that is latent in that idea and the very beauty that's housed in that action of prayer. In fact, the psalmist could even say in verses 3 and 4 that not only in times of goodness and in times of bounty and in times when things are well, but even in times of affliction and even in times of sorrow and even in times of trouble, his ear is still inclined to you and me. We can see in that a means by which we can overcome those most difficult and trying times in life because we have access to one more powerful than anything we are ever called upon to face. He is the Almighty God. There is nothing more powerful than He. There is no one more powerful than He. And as we then access Him by voice, by supplication, and by prayer, we can rest assured that that blessing that we experience in thanksgiving to him will be received so wonderfully? Consider some passages in the Bible that in fact call upon us to remember God's care for those who are his children and how he does incline his ear to them. In Psalm 55 verse 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. What? He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. It may be that in some of the most difficult times of your life, that verse has been an oasis on the desert of pain and agony. That verse may have been a marvelous place of residence for the hopes and the nature of your life. I know that it has been for me. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, he shall sustain thee. We understand that in this life we are often called upon to face difficulties, afflictions, and trials, and yet we have, as promised by God, the fact He will hear, and He will be that place by which we can turn and overcome those most difficult things of the day. Not only that, consider yet another passage in Psalm 118, verse 5. Notice in this psalm it's just too forward from the one that we just discussed earlier so far today. The psalmist there even was able to say, "'I called upon the Lord in distress. "'The Lord answered me and set me in a large place.'" When times of distress come, the psalmist could even joyfully and brilliantly say that I called upon the Lord, and do you know what? He answered me and set me in a large place. He didn't cast me aside. He didn't ignore and care not that I was in trouble. He answered me and set me in a large place. As the New Testament addresses some of these same thoughts and some of these same premises, in 1 Peter 3, verse 12, that inspired Apostle, perhaps in the very crucible of experience, he was able to say, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. Open unto their prayers. No wonder the psalmist could say, I love the Lord. One of the things for which you and I can be so thankful is that we have come in a covenant relationship with Him and we love Him and thus are able to experience the thanksgiving toward Him for all that He's done on our behalf. Indeed, it is somewhat a sad thought to think of a person meandering through life without the recognition and realization that there is a great God who is interested and who cares and who is in eternity waiting for those who are his children. It must be a miserable kind of existence not to have the thought of God, not to have a relationship with him, and not to be able to turn to him in full understanding of the bounty of his gifts. Later we do notice in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, the closing chapter of that book, the interesting statement that we again are told to cast thy care upon him, for he careth for you. All of these have challenged us again to remember that in the first four verses of Psalm 116, we learn one thing that we can be so thankful for is the fact God hears his children. But that isn't the only matter to be found in this very penetrating psalm. Please start reading with me in verse 5, and let's read the next four verses. Verses 5 through 8. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple, I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. One can easily appreciate that in the words of the psalmist, he speaks from experience. You and I have no difficulty remembering perhaps the very basis for that thought. As David was the penman for the Psalms, what is there affirmed about him in the Old Testament? David was often very near death himself, wasn't he? In the book of 1 Samuel, we read about how that the mightiest human at the time, the very one who was the king of ancient Israel, the man named Saul, on two occasions he cast a javelin at David, hoping to take his life. Throughout the rest of that book, beginning in chapter 19, Saul chased David all over Palestine. He had to hide in the caves and crevices of the hills, always fearful that Saul would be nearby and thus perhaps would take his life. David was a man on the run, a fugitive, if you will. Perhaps this very psalm calls us to recognize that David says, I was brought low. I was hidden, I was afraid, I was in trouble, I was in difficulty, but yet all the while he said, You helped me, God. You raised me up. Isn't it interesting? In verse 8, he said, You delivered my soul from death. Not only that, mine eyes from tears. And not only that, my feet from falling. Each of us have been maybe in circumstances where maybe we weren't on the very brink of physical death, perhaps as David was, but in other ways maybe we have been. As we deal with sickness, for instance, sometimes we may have been closer to death than we knew. In times of difficulty and trouble, we may have been closer to catastrophe than we knew. And yet all the while, David could be thankful unto God for his blessing on his behalf and that he raised him up and helped him. Notice some of the points that I have selected for us to recognize. Not only can we see what we noted earlier in verses 1 through 4, it's also true that God delivers and helps his children. That, of course, is based upon the very character of God Himself. And for that reason, the psalmist said in verse 5, Gracious is the Lord, and righteous, and furthermore, merciful. One of the things that indeed redounds in our mind to greatness is the very character of the God we serve. What if God were just an arbitrary and selfish and prideful being who in fact sought only for Himself? If that were true, He certainly would never have sent His Son. If that were true, He certainly would not have blessed us physically with all that He has. If that were true, you and I would be suffering, and that is at best. But God has been so merciful and so gracious and so righteous toward you and me. The very nature of that God challenges us to be, in fact, not unlike Him. And can't we see then in verses 6 and 7 that He preserveth the simple? I've chosen to put on that screen the fact that indeed he preserved the simple. You and I may wonder what that means. When the Old Testament uses that word simple and states then that God preserves them, what does it mean to say that one is simple? Here's what that word means in that original language and in that original text. The word simply means those who have a mindset to follow instruction. Those who are not so prideful and haughty that they will ignore the wise counsel of another. The psalmist said, I, in my simplicity, in the following of the commandments of God, am wise, and he preserves me. And that same premise is found all throughout the sacred scriptures. You and I must never exalt ourselves and our arrogance above that which he has proclaimed. Indeed, is it not the case that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Notice that faith doesn't come by doing what God said not do. It doesn't come by exalting our thoughts above those revealed by God. Faith is simply the performance of that which God said for us to do. The fact then that he preserves the simple is not shocking for he's promised to do that. To those that do his will he's promised to safeguard them. From the eternal abode that Jesus said in John eleven twenty five and six, where He noted that if you believe in Me, you have everlasting life. That belief that redounds to obedience. That belief that emanates in faith redounds into everlasting life. Notice in Psalm one sixteen verse eight the acts which God has done, in that He delivered the, His soul from death, His eyes from tears, and His feet from falling. Put yourself in the place of the psalmist. What has God done for you? And what has he done for me? Oh, how long a list we could name. Some of the things I've listed in the scriptures perhaps are just a short listing of what you could say. Think back to Psalm 56 verse 11. Isn't fear and being afraid one of the most penetrating thoughts in all of life? We've all been there at some point. It is scary to be afraid. And yet the psalmist on that occasion was able to say, In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. The nature then of the ultimate character of fear has been taken away by him because, notice, perfect love casteth out fear. 1 John 4, verses 18 and following. We can then be thankful that with regard to the day of judgment, we need not fear showing up unprepared. We can live our life here in confidence of obedience to God, knowing that on that day our elder brother, none other than the Son of God, will stand there as our advocate, and we will be found righteous in the sight of God. What a great blessing. This Thursday, as we think about the bounty of a table, may we as Christians not forget that we have spiritual blessings, and we've seen two of them so far. But let us also consider yet another. For in addition to these, notice also, as we will read next in Psalm 116, begin reading with me in verse 9, verse number 9 of the 116th Psalm, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore have I spoken, I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of the old Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. Might we so say that that last comment that we listed is a direct introduction to this one. One of the things for which we can be so very thankful, namely that God offers salvation. The human family was separated from him by sin, and yet, due to his righteousness and due to his graciousness, And due to his mercy, he extended salvation to you and me. The psalmist does here makes note of that very fact in verse 13. Again, he says, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Salvation, as it's used in the Old Testament, means the deliverance. You and I know that in the greatest of its characterizations, deliverance from sin is the greatest deliverance of all. And that's the very deliverance that God has made available. That's the very salvation that is the central subject in all of the Word of God. It's rather amazing to consider also that man isn't forced to accept that salvation. As great a gift as it is, as eternal and as significant as it is, man isn't forced to take it. He isn't forced to accept it. But notice the psalmist said, I will take the cup of salvation. It's safe to say that the greatest act of thanksgiving is the open response to the one who offers. In our families, what is the greatest way to show thanksgiving to the one whom you love? It is to behave and act toward them in the acceptance of that which they offer and in retribution to the love that they show. God has offered salvation. The single greatest element of thanksgiving that you and I can ever extend and exhibit and portray is the open acceptance of his gift and to all the responsibilities and responses that it offers. The psalmist was willing to take that duty. I will take the cup of salvation and I will call upon the name of the Lord. That's a challenge for each of us, isn't it? It may well be that there is one or more within the sound of my voice who isn't a Christian. Have you taken the cup of salvation? Apparently you haven't. God sent His Son. He sent that Son to take your place at Calvary. Will you thank Him and love Him enough to take that cup of salvation? To do what He has commanded and that which He has told you to be done? That very thought would be the first way you begin to thank Him. In honor of what He's done and in acceptance of His offer. Some of the passages that I've listed on that behalf. Romans 5 verse 8 comes so quickly to mind, doesn't it? For doesn't that lead us to see that God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? Or yet consider another passage, not only the Roman epistle, but also the text to be found in 1 Peter 3 verse 18, where there you and I are drawn near to God, how? By Christ, and there is no other way. You see, the thanksgiving that we should feel should then be an openly complete one. One that fills our heart and also fills our life. So that not only this one day of the year, but all year long, we should feel the necessity and the powerful need to thank God for what He's done and a life of thanksgiving and open response to His goodness on our behalf. Furthermore, in First John 3, verse number 16, we notice again the powerful statement that we love him not because of any other reason, the fact he loved us first and made possible for us the way, the marvelous means by which we could be saved. All of this helps us see then that whether young or old or middle-aged, anywhere in between, we have every reason to be so thankful, appreciative of the very nature of his blessings, and even as we approach the time of death. It may be that death isn't the most favorite of our temporal subjects to discuss, but it's not one from which the Bible shies away. It's not one the Scriptures ignore. In fact, it testifies that even Paul, as he approached the end of his days, he looked forward unto the existence of what was going to be thereafter. We ought to have that same hope, and oh, how thankful we can be. As we noted earlier today, it must be a miserable thing to approach death and not have God to hang on to, and not have the Savior's hand to hold through the time and turmoil of the ending of physical existence. But you see in the Bible, Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Or as the psalmist stated here, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints a precious thing, a valuable thing, in other words. For God knows that they're coming home to glory. God knows there's a better place waiting beyond. Can't we be thankful for that? And shouldn't we be thankful for that? These things that we've stated thus far, perhaps during the final section of the lesson today, turn our attention back to verse 12. You may have noted it when I read it a moment ago. What shall I render unto the Lord? for all his benefits toward me. There was a song that was sung somewhat popular several years ago that had a phrase and a question not unlike that one in it. God has been so good to me was one of the phrases in that song. Each of us could make that same statement, but now the response, what will I render to God for all the goodness he's shown to me? And what will you render to him for all the goodness He has shown to you? Well, maybe through the latter part of the lesson, let's simply list a few very quick things that you and I could do to render and show unto him for all the goodness he has shown to us. Think with me of these if you would. Using again Psalm 116 as our thought and as our guide. Let's begin back in verse number 1. What can I do for all the benefits he's shown to me? First, love the Lord. The psalmist stated in verse 1, I love the Lord. He didn't state that as a question. He didn't state that as some kind of distant possibility. He said, I love the Lord. You and I know that as we contemplate loving Him, we understand we love one who first loved us. We love the one who is so great and mighty and who has given to us so bountiful blessing. I've listed a few passages for you to think about on that particular screen. Notice what Jesus declared in John 14. Not long before He would ultimately ascend on that very scene of the cross being suspended there between heaven and earth, we remember He told those anxious apostles the very nature of love. He impressed upon them the importance of loving the things of God, appreciating the power, and all the things to be had within it. That love that you see in John 14, verse 15, and also in John 15, verse 14, helps us never forget that that love is a constant and permeating factor in our life. It leads us on to Mark 12, verse 30, where the first and greatest of commandments was this, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. Jesus said that is the first and the greatest of all the commandments. And he said the reason why is everything else hangs on it. Everything else is, if you will, follows from it. Do you love the Lord? Do you really love the Lord? Is it such that you just can't wait until you can be in his presence? And you look forward to those times to be with brethren who in fact feel the same. You enjoy opening his word and speaking with him in prayer. That's an exciting and a wholesome thing to you. The psalmist said he loved the Lord and certainly in response of his greatness to us and blessing we should love him. May we make that not only for this Thursday but a common part of our daily walk with him. For if we love him, we will do his commandments. Jesus said so. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But in addition to that, Notice what else we can do in response. To render unto God for the benefits He has shown to us. Also found in this same psalm, notice verse number 9. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. We noted that briefly a moment ago, did we not? Because of His goodness to us and our love to Him, we will walk with Him and before Him each day in the land of the living. Others may not appreciate it, but that doesn't matter. Others may insult, but that is not the most important. Others may not understand, but we nonetheless, due to our love for him, and out of thanksgiving for his gift, we will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Again, that challenges us ever to appreciate that walking before the Lord is a walk that is such an impressive one. We live in a culture and in a world where to walk before the Lord is not something that is looked upon like it once was. You and I know that those who so choose to walk will stand out because they are not like the majority of culture. They are not like most of those in the world. But yet they are governed by the love of God, and in His thanksgiving do they openly and actively respond. I've listed again a text for you to consider in Ephesians 2 verse 10. There the abundant character of God's blessing is stated this way, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that we may walk in them. Those are the works God has ordained, and you and I then are those who fulfill that mission of His good works. That's one way we show our thanks to Him. As Christians, we've been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. As Christians, our life is hid with Christ in God. Second Corinthians chapters 4 and 6. And with all that said, we then should lovingly walk before the Lord all the days of our life while we live in the land of the living. But what's more, you'll also notice I've listed Psalm 23, verse number 1 and following. You know that text oh so well. And maybe, as you and I have heard that preached about and read in various places, we have placed more emphasis, perhaps, on the last three verses. Think with me of the first three. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. My shepherd, a shepherd leads. The sheep do not go astray if they're following the shepherd. If you and I, then, can openly proclaim what the psalmist did and say, the Lord is my shepherd, then you and I follow his lead. That's how we show our love. We walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Perhaps one final comment, and this draws us to the central scene of verse 17, the title of the lesson today. You'll notice that I had entitled it The Sacrifice of Thanksgiving. Consider with me if you would. The very bottom of that page, the last few comments. Verse 17 again states, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and will call upon the name of the Lord. The sacrifice of thanksgiving is a statement that is by itself somewhat intriguing. There was an actual sacrifice in the Old Testament that went by that name. It's described in Leviticus 7, beginning in verse 12. And as that sacrifice was offered, it was an especial observation on the part of the offerer in thanksgiving for the goodness and the blessing of God." Sounds very much like what our world typically thinks of as thanksgiving, doesn't it? The sacrifice of thanksgiving. But therein lies the question. The psalmist here centuries later could say, I will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. He was interested in thus showing openly his thanksgiving to God by offering that commanded sacrifice As he did so, that would fulfill the character of the feelings of his heart for the goodness of God. May I submit to you that today we, of course, don't offer animal sacrifices. We do not go to a specified place like Jerusalem and there offer a turtle dove or some kind of a cow. In fact, we don't offer physically any kind of physical blood animal sacrifice. Is there anything like this in the New Testament? Should you and I offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving today? Of course, we know that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And the very principle, though, of offering this sacrifice of thanksgiving should be a pertinent part of my life and yours. For the ultimate principle that led that ancient Israelite to offer that sacrifice was a heartfelt feeling of gratitude for all of God's goodness. If you and I feel that heartfelt gratitude, loving the Lord will be no difficulty. Walking before the Lord in the land of the living will come easy. It will be the desire of our being. And what's more, we will be anxious to offer in principle the sacrifice of thanksgiving as we do those sacrifices, such as the contribution or such as the daily walk with the Lord. All of that will in fact be an open book for others to read that testifies to our love for the Lord, and to our sacrifice for His goodness. In Ephesians 5, verse 20, In fact, we are therein commanded, in everything give thanks unto God and the Father. And so, as we even enjoy the blessings of this Sunday morning, we should be thankful for that, or the blessings of Monday and on up until Thursday. You see, thanksgiving is a real part of God's Word, and it should be a part of our life. Our prayer life and our supplication to God shouldn't be just only begging Him for things and asking Him for things. How often do you and I simply pray thanking Him for something? To just say, God, I thank you for something. Be it those foods that we enjoy, the loved ones that we love and cherish so much. Let us then have that heart of thanksgiving in which not only at this time of year, but yea, year round, we understand our dependence upon God and the recognition of all He's done for us. Perhaps as we summarize the lesson today, we could in fairness say that the following things are abundantly true. I've listed some of the concluding thoughts. As we think about the physical blessings of thanksgiving, the way we typically think of it, may I urge you and myself alike to at least devote some thought to the spiritual gifts we have and to how thankful we should be for them. So much so that there are many reasons, such as the fact that God hears His children, and that He delivers His children, and in those blessings, we also can appreciate that in our response as we love Him, and walk before Him in the land of the living, and also that we offer in principle that sacrifice of thanksgiving, it'll help us to live humbly, and it'll help us to live rightly before God. Today, as we've noted earlier, if you aren't a child of God, these blessings you do not enjoy. For after all, He has not withheld for you, those eternal blessings, because to this point you've rejected Him. Don't do that any longer, but rather, in open love, come to Him and embrace His offer of salvation. Take the cup of salvation and walk with Him all the days of your life. If we could assist you in doing that this morning, the gospel plan of salvation... Beseeches us to recognize this. Believe in Jesus. He was the Son of God, and He reigns in heaven today. Repent of those sins in your life because they have separated you from your loving Heavenly Father. Confess His sweet name as your Savior. We'd aid you in asking you, as just as was done in Acts 8 about that. But that would precede immediately your immersion in water, your baptism, in order for your sins to be forgiven. If we could be of any assistance in the accomplishment of that, let us do that today. What a day then of rejoicing as well as thanksgiving it could be. But if you have been a member of the family, but you haven't been a very thankful member of the family, you haven't been an openly person of thanksgiving with regard to God's blessing, come back to that first love if that is a public need today. If any of these things are the need of your heart and life, hesitate no longer, but rather, let us, as your brothers and sisters in Christ, aid you in that obedience, even now while together we stand and while we sing.